Um, you guys, the, the last week was so fun. It was, it was Easter, and, and we had a great Sunday in here. We had just over 2,000 people that showed up in here this last Sunday for Easter. It was so fun. And you guys... The thing about that, it's not, it's not like, oh, 2,000 people, it's about numbers. No, man, the thing that was so fun about that is, and we got together as a staff and talked about it the next week, the stories that we told of the neighbors that you guys brought, the workmates that you brought, or the, or the friends that you brought that hadn't come to church for a long time, it seemed like each one of us on staff had two or three of those stories that we could share from the, what we heard on Easter Sunday. And so it's just, when you think about it, how cool is that, that people came walking in in here this last Sunday and got to hear the truth that Jesus conquered the grave and conquered death because he loved every one of us, including the person that you invited. So that's such a cool, cool Sunday and getting to celebrate that together. And I know that some people are back this week from what you, from what you experienced this last week. And now you're trying to figure out what do I do next? We love it. We'd love it that you're in here with us um, having to figure out what's next for you in your life after, after coming back to church maybe for the first time or coming for the first time or back from a long time from before. Uh, we'd love it that you're here. So last week was great. This week, this is, like we said, it is fun with Guerrilla Warfare. We have a lot of fun with this one. It is a, it's, it's part of our whole desire for us to just connect with each other and to share life with each other and hang out together. And so we do this Guerrilla Warfare, but let's be honest, um, Jim and I do, didn't do very much of the cooking at all this time. In fact, we just recruited really good cooks to do this stuff. And so you are actually, we were looking at the menu. You are going to get some really good food no matter what line you stand in. I mean, normally we stand there and go, don't eat that. I mean, Jim one time made ribs and cooked them for like three minutes. They were so raw. That's not happening this year. These guys are actually really good at this. And so I, I was even looking at the brisket line, I mean, the, the, the slider line that he's got. I'm going, man, I, I'd eat one of those things. I hate to admit it, I'd eat one of those things because I know who cooked them. And they're really, they look really, really good. In fact, Jim and I are thinking we're going to take this thing on the road with us. We're, I think we're going to start the Gorilla Warfare Catering Company. And, and we'll, we'll let Becky take over the church. And Jim and I will just go on the road and do bar mitzvahs and weddings. And we'll just do all this, just do catering. And we'll bring our stuff and bring our people that did all this stuff. I mean, just this food, and we'll just we'll just do that. In fact, you guys, when I when I had I have four kids, and when three of them came out as girls, my first thought is wedding, wedding, wedding. You know, that's what I'm thinking. I've got a plan now. Wedding receptions. I'm just gonna bring guerrilla warfare catering, and if everyone brings five bucks and puts it in the basket, I'll break even. It's, got, it's the greatest plan for a wedding of all time. And, it, and it's also why my kids are going, I, this is why I don't like being the daughter of a pastor. Because they know that I'm serious. I, I'm, I'm thinking through what this is going to look like. By the time they get married, my plan is that this whole thing of, of fathers of the bride has to pay for them. That's, that's going out the window for this next one. So if you get an invitation, yeah, 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 all of us dads of, of girls. If you get an invitation to our wedding, make sure you bring five bucks to it, okay? Um, no, so we're so it's it's gonna it's gonna be fun. That's gonna be fun afterwards. But until then, though, I know we're licking our chops for what's gonna happen. We got a new series that we're going through. This is us. Now, now, I know some of you're going. Oh, I love that show. I do too. But we're not talking about the show, okay? Um, we're talking about us. 
We're talking about this ragtag group of people. I'm sorry if you don't want to be considered that, but that's all of us in this room that are going, this is us that haven't figured it all out. This is us that are just kind of juggling, how do I survive today and then also do something beyond myself? And how do I live with a purpose and survive at the same time? How do I do both those things? That's us. I don't think anybody's figured all of that out. In fact, I want you to raise your hands if you think you figured it all out, okay? If you figured it out, if you wake up in the morning and you're singing hymns right off the bat and you're just whistling and you're going down, you're kissing all your friends that you see or you're, you're kissing your spouse, you're kissing your kids, you're going out the door, you're driving to work and someone cuts you off and you just pray for them. Ah, they're having a tough morning. I'm just going to pray for them. And you get to work and somebody else got the raise that you were hoping for and you go, that's all right. I have plenty. I don't need any more. You didn't deserve it, but you deserve it. You know, you're one of those people. You parked the farthest away here. You're the one that's parked over next to McDonald's and you walked over so you can count all your steps. Now, see, I know that's some of you guys and you're crazy for doing that, but you got... You do that, you know, you're that person that, 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 you know, I'm on my fifth marathon and I hope I break, you know, you're that, that one. I know some of you are that too. That's still not me. You know, you're, you're the person that says, I got no worries. I got no doubts. I got no fear. I got no guilt. I've done it all right today. You're that one. Who's that one? If you are, you're preaching next week. Okay. So the rest of us is, this is us. This is us, that we're trying to figure this thing out. We're trying to live this life out and figure out how do I, how do I take care of today and take care of this stuff that I've got going. At the same time, how do I, how do I live with great purpose and do those things collide and how do, how do those two work together? How, where does God fit into all of this and how do I live for him and in the midst of the stress of my life? That's this is us. What we want to do is we want to look at one book of the Bible. It's a, it's, it's a book called Hebrews in the New Testament. And we're going to look at one chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, that's looking at people from the Old Testament. And what it is, it's a bunch of average Joes, a bunch of people that have done some great things and some stupid things. And in the midst of those guys doing those ordinary men and women doing those, those, those things, God did some extraordinary stuff. And we want to go... What can we learn from that? How can we be inspired by that? These people that had their own messes, these people that had their own stuff they were dealing with, and yet God still used them for extraordinary reasons. And is that for us too? So we're gonna take the next five or six weeks and speak into that a little bit as we look, take a closer look at Hebrews chapter 11, okay? So I'm gonna set the table for that this week and then we'll, we'll roll right into some of those people next week. So let's pray together and we'll dig into this beginning of it. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this morning and the chance for all of us to be in your presence, that we don't have to invite you here, you are here, and, that we, and you're allowing us to be in your presence. And we pray that each one of us would, would take the, the things that are the, are, are the most, or they're taking up most of our brain space right now, and we'd be able to at least let you in to that and around that and to our hearts to speak to us of what you want to speak to us so that we can draw closer to your son as a result. We pray that that would happen this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
All right. So here we go. So, so last Sunday, we, we celebrated Easter. And, and last Sunday, you know, um, we, we talk about Jesus and rising from the grave and conquering death. And death didn't win. And death doesn't have that sting anymore. And we have that hope in Jesus because of that. We talked about that last week and how that's what this, the celebration of Easter is, is that, is that Jesus goes to the cross for us because he loved us that much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so we believe that that's what last week was all about, was Jesus rising from the grave. He did what he said he was going to do. He is who he said he is. And because of that, we have life, not only life now, but life for eternity. We believe that that's what happened this last week at Easter. And then he, he rises from the dead, and then he spends some time here, and then he ascends into heaven. In between ascending into heaven and rising from the grave, he gives us this sliver of time on this earth. He gives us this sliver of time where he's going, okay, I got a few more things I want to say to you before I send into heaven. It's interesting. He could have quick, made a quick, hey, how are you doing? And then gone off to, and ascend into heaven. But he had a few things he still wanted to make sure that he addressed for those folks. But then also you could tell it was for the people after those folks were done. And, and it was for those people that 2,000 years later were still looking into this. And so you can picture that. He's got that sliver of time to say, what else do I want to say? I love looking at that sliver of time because I love thinking about, I want to make sure they get this. One of the things they got was, was the whole th issue of doubt. Thomas is doubting. Thomas is in that upper room. He doesn't know it. And Jesus comes walking in. After he had risen, before he ascended, he walked up to Thomas. He says, Thomas, man, I am here. Put your hands where my hands, the holes in my hands and the holes in my side. Put your hands right there. I'm right there. But then he says something to the rest of us. He says to us, he says, blessed are those that don't see and still believe. Because he knows he's ascending into heaven. And he knows a bunch of people aren't going to get the experience that Tom got, that Thomas got. They're not going to get that. Instead, we're going to have our own doubt. And he's going, I love you in this. And I know you're going to have it. And I know it's going to be difficult. And you'll be blessed. You'll be on the right track. Even if you don't see it and you still believe it, you'll be on the right track. He's speaking right into our doubt in that sliver of time. In that sliver of time, he speaks into our guilt when he talks to Peter and Peter had denied him three times and, and Jesus comes up to him and he says, hey, Peter, man, do you love me? And Peter's going, man, you don't get it. You don't get what I've gone through. You, I mean, you're not what I've gone through. You don't get what I did. You don't get how I, I denied you. And, Peter, and Jesus is going, no, 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 come on, Peter. Do you love me? No, no, Jesus, no. Do you love me? And Peter's saying, yeah, I do love you. And he says, all right, then let's live this thing together. Go feed my sheep. I don't want you to live in that guilt. I don't want that to define you. I don't want that to be the thing that is about you for the rest of your life. And he's looking at all of us because he, he mentions those things in that sliver of time because he wants to make sure we all hear it. That amidst of the, the, the guilt that we feel and the stupid decisions that we make and we walk with the messes of our life, he's going, man, do you love me? Then let's move forward. Let's keep moving. He talks to us about that. He talks to us about, about his, his love for us. He wants to make sure that Pete, we hear how much he loves us and he did this for his love for us. And then he finishes with a great commission, this great challenge, this, this thing he's going, all right, now listen, all of you, listen. Go 
and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them all that I have taught you. Teach somebody else. And then he promises something. He says, know that I'm going to be with you always to the very ends of the age. And he's saying that to us. He's saying that, look, I'm going to be with you always, even if you can't see me. I'm going to be with you always to the ends of the age. And then he ascends into heaven. And at that moment, the disciples and the people who were around all that happening had one of two decisions they had to make in that moment. They had one of two places they could go. They could either say, so what? Or now what? It was one of two things. So what? Or now what? They could have easily said to Jesus, so what? Okay, so he ascends into heaven. I wake up the next morning. I'm Matthew. I'm a tax collector. I'm Peter. I'm a fisherman. I got to go back to my work. I just got to go do my work. This is my regular everyday thing. And I could easily say, so what? Matthew is a tax collector. Tax collectors were thieves. They, they collected the taxes for the Roman government, and then they collected even more for themselves. And they were rich because they collected a lot of extra for themselves. They were thieves. And Matthew could have easily at this point said, so what? He could have said, all right, well, I'm going to make a, a few moral choices that are better than I was doing before. Thank you for the moral lessons that you taught me, Jesus. And then I could just go on with the rest. So what? I'll address that part about life for eternity at the end of my life. But until then, so what? So what? Peter could say, okay, I know I'm not supposed to worry as much about how many fish are in the net. But other than that, so what? See, you guys, we can easily say that. We can say, so what? And many of us have, and many of us might be right now. Just going, so what? So what? I got Easter. I got it that Jesus rose from the grave. But I got, I got school I got to go to. I got this relationship that I'm focusing in on. I got this job that's pressing in on me. And so I don't have time to be thinking about any of the rest of that stuff. And so we could easily, easily just say, so what? And you go, wait, wait, wait a minute, I'm here at church, but come on, you can be in church and go through the ritual of being in church and continue to say, so what? We can continue to do that. I've done that many, many times. So what? Or they can say, now what? They can lean in and say, now what? Now what do you want me to do? Now I've just heard what you gave me in that great commission, that great challenge. Now what? Now what does this mean in my marriage? Now what does this mean in my relationships? Now what's this mean with my friendships? What's this mean with my roommates? What's this mean at school? What's this mean at, at, with my children? What's this mean with my fears? Now what? Now what do I do in my doubts? Now what do I do with the challenge in front of me? Now what do I do in sharing this love that, I have, that you have for me with somebody else? Now what? They could say now what? They can lean in with now what or lean out, lean away with so what? Either one of them, they have to make that choice. And we do too. And some of us have made, some have made the choice now what? But then some of you even know when you've made that choice now what? You can easily slide back into so what? 
You, I mean, shoot, when I was in college, I was now what in everything. Now what do you want, Lord? I'll, I'll go run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. I'll go, I'll go, uh, I'll go serve in the projects. I will go, I'll go lead Bible studies. I, I had read like one book of the Bible, but I started leading the Bible study. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't know, but I'm leading it for you guys. I mean, I was now what in everything. But, but, but as life starts to erode some of that, you can get to so what? And you find yourself just going, you know what? I don't even think that much about it. So what? What's going on in me and my relationships? So what? There was a group of people, a group of Jewish Christians in the first century that were going through the same thing. They were now what people? They were following, they were following Jesus. They were doing, they were saying, now what? What should we do? What should we do? But, they, but that now what was eroding. They started, people were chirping in their ear and they were listening to the chirping. People are saying, are you kidding me? You're putting your weight down on that carpenter from Nazareth that, that was on the cross? Are you kidding me? And they're hearing that chirping and they're going, huh, now what's turning to so what? Some of the issues in their life and just life was pressing in on them and now what's sliding into so what? And so this person set out and he wrote the book of Hebrews and he wrote it to these people. And it wasn't a book, it was just a, it was just a, a letter that he wrote that was copied and then other people read it and they copied it and they copied and copied it. And then next thing you know, it was being read in front of a bunch of churches and then we end up finding it in our New Testament because that's how, that's how it got to us in the New Testament is it just was kept copied because it was like, this was now what people they were leaning towards so what? And they needed encouragement. And this guy was gonna give them encouragement through this letter. And this is what he said. This is in chapter 10, okay? He says, but recall those earlier days when after you had been enlightened, that's you just remember back, back when you heard the news of Jesus Christ in your life. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion for those who were in prison and you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions knowing that you yourself possessed something better and more lasting. See, remember back when you're now what instead of so what? He said, do not therefore abandon that confidence. Now grab onto that word confidence. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Do not therefore abandon that confidence of yours. It brings a great reward for you need endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back, but we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost, but among those who have faith and so are saved." He's going, don't shrink back. He sees it. And he's going, don't shrink back into so what? He says, I know how easy that is. And he says, don't shrink back into that. He says, I know it's tempting to convince yourself that when God was stirring on your soul, you're saying, ah, maybe it wasn't. That, that week that you came to church and God stirred something on your soul and you were moving into now what? And you're going, ah, maybe it's so what? Even last week, some of you might have just been stirred on your soul about who Jesus is in your life. And you know, we got to know Satan, that's his number one play field is to just go, if they've been stirring, I got to convince them otherwise. I got to convince them otherwise. I got to convince them otherwise. And this week's a week of convincing otherwise. He's going, no, 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 no. Now what? Lean into now what? Don't fall back. Lean into what the Lord is prompting in you. 
And then he gets, goes on to chapter 11. Now remember, we're the ones that put chapters in the Bible. The, he didn't write this with chapters in it. We did it so that we can f- navigate it a little bit better. But so he was just coming right off of with a thought that he had just shared. And he said this, faith is. Faith is. Now when you read faith is, the first thing you do is you go, and I don't want to talk about faith. Is that what you're talking about with all this is faith? I don't want to talk about faith because my faith stinks. <laughs> I mean, if, if we all just said, write down on a piece of paper your grade that you're giving yourself for, in your faith, I would guess that most of us are giving ourselves less than a passing grade. For some reason, this is one topic that we look at and we just go, I'm all, I always look at myself as failing in my faith. I don't trust enough. I don't pray enough. I don't recognize God in my life enough. My faith is always weak, it feels like. And it, and it feels like it's always weaker than the person sitting next to me. Weaker than my spouse, weaker than my friend, weaker than, than, the, than the, the person that's standing up and raising their arms and singing songs. It's always weaker than somebody else. In fact, when you hear stories of somebody that has a strong faith, it almost makes you mad. We actually get mad at people for having a strong faith. They'll tell a story of, man, I, was, I, I couldn't find my keys and I was praying and, and then I went into the doorknob and they were right there in the doorknob. God put them right there in the doorknob. Do you believe that God's so good? And you just want to punch him. You do. You're just going, are you kidding me? You know, and you want to talk them, oh, that's not faith. Or, or you just want to go, I wish I had that kind of faith. I wish I had that much faith. I got zero faith. Or I got a little bit of faith. You guys, we're missing the boat on faith. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. Do you know what Paul's saying right there? He's saying grace is a gift, a free gift that God has given to you. Well, it's not free because Jesus paid the price for it. And he's given us the gift of grace. And the thing that will ignite that gift of grace is faith. And guess what? He's given that to you too. Faith is a gift, a gift to ignite grace in your life. He's given that to every single one of us. And if we sit around thinking that, well, he only gave me a tiny bit and somebody else he gave a lot to, why would God do that? Why would say, yeah, you don't get very much faith because uh, I don't want you to know grace. He's going to want us to know grace to as far as it can go in our lives. And so he's going to want us to know faith, to get faith as well. And so he's given that to us. He hasn't given you a cooler of it and you a stein of it and you a, 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 a dropper of it. He hasn't done that. He has given all of us. That you, the, the person in here that's just come back from last week at Easter and is the first time you've been in church in a super long time, he's given you just as much grace and just as much faith he's given anybody else. We all have been given it. We just have to discover what it means. We just have to discover what that looks like in our life. We have to unwrap that gift of faith that leads us to the grace that covers our life. We have to unwrap that and say, okay, this is faith. Now, what is faith? What are we discovering? That's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, faith is confidence in what we hope for. He says, it's confidence is in what we hope for. 
Now, when he writes that, he's making an assumption. He's assuming that we hope for something. We all have to hope for something. Okay, we all have those longings that we have. We're hoping for something. It's a confidence in what you hope for. Shoot, when I was in high school, I hoped that I would be able to drive a Chevy Nova because Pat Prince drove a Chevy Nova. I wanted to drive this car. This was, my, this was my dream car in high school. Pat Prince drove it and he was the coolest guy in high school. Anybody with the name Pat Prince has got to be the coolest guy in high school. And he was. And he drove that car and I wanted that car and I hoped for that car and my parents gave me this car. That's what they gave me. So I'm driving around a two-tone Ford club wagon while Pat Prince is driving around his Nova. I was hoping for something. I didn't get it. Man, I was disappointed. Man, we all have things that we are hoping and longing for. My, my mom always said, Billy, she said, Billy, when your ship comes in, you're going to be able to get whatever you want. When your ship, I'm saying ship, you guys, when your ship comes in, it's, you're going to get whatever you want. And I've been looking for that ship. I go out to a Boulder Reservoir looking for the ship that comes in for this. It says Bill Stevens on it that allows me to have a membership to the country club that I want so I can play golf whenever I want to. I want my ship to come in. I want, to, I, want, I want my ship to come in. I hope for that so that my wife can have the kitchen that she's always wanted. I want to buy my wife a kitchen. I want her to have a kitchen where you can hang pots from the ceiling. I want that. I want an island and pots. My, my kitchen doesn't have pots hanging from the ceiling. It's too small for that. Some of you guys have kitchens with pots hanging down. And I envy your kitchens. And I know that's a bad thing to do to envy. It's because I have a bad faith and you have a good faith. See what I just did right there? Yeah, that's what we do, you know. I, I, I want that. That's what I hope for. Some of you hope that you find that guy or that girl in that relationship because you want that Renee Zellweger, Tom Cruise moment where you could say, he completes me. I want, you want that. So you're hoping for it. You're hoping that your retirement all of a sudden triples this year. You're hoping for that. We all have things that we're longing and we are hoping for, but here's the problem. They'll disappoint in the end, those things are temporary and they're disappoint. Or every once in a while, we get some of that. And then you go, oh, but that wasn't nearly what I hoped it would be. It's, it's, just, a, it's just not what I thought. They disappoint. Some of us put our hope in the church. You put your hope in the church. And then the church disappoints you. So I know we've got a lot of people in this church that have been disappointed by the church. You've put your hope in a prayer, and that prayer was unanswered, or you thought it was unanswered, or that's what we think, it's unanswered. And so you put your hope in that, and you're disappointed. Uh-oh, now, Bill, you're getting into God's stuff. Some people put their hope in a pastor. I guarantee you will disappoint. We put our hope in these things. And they disappoint, and then we don't have any confidence anymore. And, our, and our, we talk about faith as a confidence that you hope for, where I'm not getting, those things aren't happening, and I, I lose that confidence. But the writer of Hebrews makes a specific, he says, no, it's not what you're putting your hope, it's not what you put your hope for, it's not, in, it's, it's not, it's not a hope in something, that's what he's doing, he's, not, he's saying it's not a hope in something, it's a hope in someone. 
It's not a hope in something. And we have got to get our minds around that. So many times we're putting our hope in something and trying to put our confidence in that. He's going, no, it's, well, you have to put your hope in someone. I'm not talking about your spouse because your spouse can disappoint. I'm not talking about someone that's here and someone that ends up being temporary. I'm talking about someone that's not temporary. He's saying, you got to put your hope in someone and that's in the someone of Jesus Christ because that's the one that will not leave you. That's the one that fully loves you. We have to put all of our weight down on the hope of someone instead of something. Because look at you guys, and when we put our hope in that some, something, when, again, when you put that hope in something, in that disappointment, it, our, we, our heart breaks. Shawshank Redemption, remember when, when, uh, when Morgan Freeman is talking to Tim Robbins, he says, hope is a dangerous thing, you guys. Hope's a dangerous thing, he says, because hope can break your heart. And he's right, it can when we put that hope in something. But Jesus is not going to break our heart. He's, we're putting that hope in someone. And, and, and so then we face what we long for, and we go, we long for the one that will understand us, and Jesus does. We long for the one that has grace for our mistakes, and Jesus has it. We long for someone that will address our guilt, and Jesus addresses it. We long for someone that will be there when nobody else is, and Jesus is. You start to go, I got to put my weight on, on that. You guys, that is a confidence in someone. John Ortberg says this. He says, we carry one big hope, the secret hope you don't even dare to breathe, that when you have lost the something you were hoping for, and it might have been really, really big, there is someone you can put your hope in. That we'd have a confidence in that someone. Now, that writer of Hebrews goes on. He says, now, faith is a confidence in what we hope for, the someone of Jesus, and an assurance about what we do not see. It's an assurance of that person. It's an assurance of his promises. Now, how can we be assured of the promises of Jesus? Do you know why we can be assured of that? Because of last Sunday. Because of last Sunday. Because the greatest of his promises, the promises to love us all the way to the grave, and to rise from the grave to give us life and to connect us back with God again and to have us life for eternity, he actually did what he said he was gonna do. And when you put your weight on that truth of what he did last Sunday, then you can see all the rest of his promises and go, why would he be any less in the rest of these promises than he is right here? And so I have a confidence in the one, the someone, and I have an assurance because of his promises in my life. And I can now I can rest in those assurance, the assurance of who he is. And so, and so when, we, when, we, when we say he will love us, we have that, when he says he'll love us, we have that assurance because of the cross. When he says he promised to forgive us, we have that assurance through the cross. When he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us, we have that confident assurance because of the cross. This is why the writer of Hebrews, when he goes on to chapter 12, says this, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He's going, man, consider what Jesus did on the cross and be assured that he loves us 
and will follow through on the promises. The promises to meet us in our doubt and the promises to meet us in our fear and the promises to meet us in tomorrow. And he's going, I've got tomorrow. I've got tomorrow to take, I got, I got tomorrow taken care of. And even the promises to give us power. He says, I, I mean, the, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in each one of us. He promises us that power. We have that. And we can be assured of that. And it allows us to step into places we would never step into. And we have a faith to do that. You just go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going in that direction. What in the world is allowing me to do that? The faith to do that because we're putting our weight down on the someone of Jesus and the assurance of his promises are true because of the cross. Matt Chandler says this. He says, faith anticipates that the promises of Christ will come true no matter how long we have to wait or to sift through our stuff to get to them. God will accomplish what he says he will do in us. Faith not only anticipates, it moves. It doesn't twiddle its thumbs. Faith is not static. It's moving. And over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about these people that faith was moving in them. And they were saying, I've put my weight down on someone and not something. And I have great confidence because of that. And I have an assurance that what he says is happening is going to be true. I have an assurance of his, of his promises in my life. And I can move because faith moves. And now I can move into those places. And they did. And we hope that we are inspired as we look at those things. But we also hope that we each can go, man, I want to grow in my confident assurance of Jesus, who I've put my weight down on. And throughout what we do and all the people that we look at, we will continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith that scorned the shame of the cross for you and me. We'll fix our eyes on that because that's how we're settling in on this rock. You know that word amen, when we finish a prayer and we say amen, the literal translation of amen is like hanging on a hook. It's like, yes, I'm hanging this right here on this hook. I'm saying yes, yes to this. I'm putting my weight down on it. I'm saying this guy is who he says he is and I put my weight down on him, on the someone of Jesus. And I'm surrounding that with an assurance of the promises that he gives each one of us. I'm surrounding myself with those promises and I walk by faith and it ignites grace in my life. Paul, Paul writes this. I want to finish with this little prayer that he writes. This is a prayer that for each one of us. He said, I ask, I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Paul is praying for every single one of us to know him personally, to stand on that rock personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. That's a confident assurance in the someone of Jesus. So what or now what? Answer that today.
and then answer it again tomorrow. Standing on that rock with confidence, assurance of who he is. Father, I pray that, that, would, that in our lives that, that, would, that we would be able to do that, that in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the stuff, in the midst of the things that erode, in the midst of the things that push us towards so what, I pray, Lord, that in those moments, you would, you would remind us of your son and the cross. You'd remind us of what happened this last Sunday. You'd remind us of what Jesus has done for us. You'd remind us of your love for us. And God, as a result, I pray that we too then can stand strong on the rock that is the someone of Jesus. And I pray, I wanna pray a bold prayer for the people, every person in this room, the one that just came in here today and was expecting nothing. And the one that's been here forever and has still been in a so what time of life. I pray that every single one of us would find ourselves just standing on this rock and not expecting not having expected it but standing right here and saying yes I believe in you I love you and I claim your promises in my life God help me to walk with that faith it's in your name we pray amen let's stand and sing one more song together